Cole Arthur Riley, author of Black Liturgy, said, Rest is an act of defiance. It's the audacity to face the demands of the world and proclaim, I will not be owned. Another one, if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something, which was coined by Adele Calhoun. Those quotes hit me. If you can't rest, what is that? And and in some cases, it is an addiction or a belief that they have no value if they are not working. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Overflowing Life Podcast, where we navigate the crossroads of modern leadership, authentic living, and the redemptive power of business. I'm your host, Chris Lagarde. This is part two of our conversation exploring how ancient practices can be the lifeline that saves leaders from burnout and ineffective leadership. In our last episode, we dove into the transformative power of solitude, contemplation, and reflection, emphasizing their crucial role in enhancing a leader's clarity and focus. Today, we turn our attention to two more vital practices, the rejuvenating power of rest and the grounding impact of participating in an authentic community. Thanks for joining us on this journey. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is a part two of a two-parter here. The first one, you know, we're, we're talking about ancient practices that help leaders ground themselves and make sure they don't get caught up in the the crazy uh, life and, and hurry culture that we live in so that they can be more effective leaders. And so last time we covered the fact that you need to have a little bit of a rebellious punk rock attitude to, uh, to kind of put these into place. And we talked about solitude and silence and then contemplation and reflection. Today, we're going to get into a conversation around around two more practices, which are resting and authentic community. So rest. Um, how is your rest rhythm? Let's start there, Adrian. How, how do you do with rest? I'm not a good rester. I actually consider rest two different ways. So I think rest in the sense of rest where we are maybe indulging in playfulness where we are spending leisure time. Rest is the opposite of work, maybe. But then also the actual physical rest of sleep. And so sleep is one of my non-negotiables. I have to sleep. I have to sleep at least seven hours a night. If I can't, then I just feel very foggy. I don't feel like I can be at my best. And so for me, that type of rest is really important. But during the day, I really struggle with slowing down and stopping and resting and really protecting leisure time. How was your rest, Chris? Thank you. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought up sleep. I want to circle back around to that. I just made a note uh, here to circle back around that. My rest has improved dramatically over the last few years in this journey that I've been on. And it, you know, my wife was just saying the other day that like, I would hardly sit down and just be, as we were talking about last time, and I am much better at that these days. Uh, I, I I understand and see and and not just intellectually know the value of it, but in in my body I know the value of it. And part of that, you know, part of that. Um, now I'm going to get to that in a minute. Here, here's what I want to say is that the idea of rest, I found a lot of value in understanding the Jewish view of it. You know. When they were the, the the history, especially when you read the Old Testament, they were a people enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and they were pulled. I mean, and, and as slaves, 
they worked seven days a week. I don't think they work 24 seven, but they work seven days a week and their identity came from what they do and how much they could produce. And when they came out of Egypt and, you know, walked through the, the desert and then eventually came into the quote unquote promised land, their identity had to shift. And part of the the way that that from a cultural standpoint was instituted was a mandatory one day a week, six days you work, seven day the seventh day you will rest. And that was that was groundbreaking at the time from a, a world standpoint because nobody else was really doing that. And for us in our activity driven culture, I think is really important to understand that. That, yeah, we've got to do that. It's an act of defiance, which is part of why I wanted to start out last time by saying you got to have a punk rock attitude because, you know, rest is an act of defiance. Uh, author Cole Arthur Riley, author of Black Liturgy, said rest is an act of defiance. It's the audacity to face the demands of the world and proclaim, I will not be owned. And another one that I, I, I found was that if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something, uh, which was coined by Adele Calhoun. Those quotes hit me. I'm like, I don't care where you are, you know, in, in your realm of belief, but it's like, yeah, if you can't rest, and I've seen it in coaching clients, they are beholden to something. They can't stop and let go. And so what is that? And and in some cases, it is a, a an addiction or a, a belief that they have no value if they are not working. Yeah, and that goes back really to our first episode too about how much our identities are so intertwined with the work that we do, that we find our value in in our work. And so if we don't rest, what are we trying to prove by continuing to to work and work and work and stay in that rat race? And how is that really influencing our identities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Let me ask you a question I tend to ask my coaching clients a lot, Adrian. Put you on the spot again. I'm sure you love this. Um, when does your day start? 5.03 a.m. Now, that's the answer, not the exact time. I love that exact time. I'm 5.10. However, that's that's it's not the answer I'm looking for. So in Jewish culture, at least ancient Jewish culture, when did their day start? Do you know? I don't know. When the sun went down. Now, why is that significant? Because they started from a place of rest. If their day started when the sun went down and they went to sleep, they started from a place of rest as opposed to starting from activity. And I have found in my own life to look at my world that way is a profound shift in understanding the importance of rest. Because if I start from rest, my day starts when I go to sleep. If I'm not getting enough sleep, like you were saying, sleep's important. I agree. Did you know that before the industrial revolution, the average hum- the average person slept about 11 hours? Now we're down under seven. And they are linking the lack of sleep to dementia and Alzheimer's very specifically. So our sleep is really important. Yeah. I Wow. What a great perspective should I'm trying to wrap my mind around that because that is really kind of shaking me a little bit because I always consider as much as I prize sleep it's something that I tack on to the end of my day 
And hopefully I will be within that seven hour range. And if I'm less than that, I get a little bit stressed out because I know I'm going to feel tired when I wake up at five in the morning. But to really change my mindset about, oh, I'm actually starting my day with the rest. I'm going to have to think on that one a little bit more, Chris. Thank you for thank you for that little wisdom nugget. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about like rest. I, I want to touch on sleep one more one more time. When I I this is not they didn't pay us to do this, but I've been using this thing called a Whoop for five years ish, and it was the f- I thought I was getting enough sleep, and when it tracks that, it does a lot of things really well. But what it showed me was I was not getting enough sleep. And the more I learned about how important sleep was, my goal is to get seven hours. And recently, like this week. I realized my average was not enough. And so now I am starting my day. I'm intending to start at around 8.45 PM where I'm wrapping things up and I'm going upstairs to get in bed and get into my you know, sleep routine um, so that I can hopefully get enough. I, I looked at it this morning and I got just over seven hours. So I'm like, yes, I won. Score. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Now, Let's expand on the idea of rest. And, and, you know, from a religious standpoint, you know, people would take one day a week off and you don't have to do that. From a leadership perspective, what I'm going to challenge leaders to do is you, ideally, you should have a 24 hour period that you have off because like I, like I was starting to uh, elaborate on or allude to is that it is an act of defiance and it is an identity forming thing, you know, so, so by, by stepping away from the rush of, who you are, it allows you the time to have some silence and solitude and contemplation and reflection. And it gives you that space and it, and it actually helps you to disconnect from your identity being what you do and not who you really are and, and connecting to those true desires. And, and that's why I think it was originally instituted. And I like to say, look, if, if God rested on the seventh day, who am I to say, I don't need that, you know? I think the other thing to keep in mind with rest too is that rest doesn't necessarily mean you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day, right? There's different types of rest. And I think you have to know yourself well enough to know what rest, what is restful for you. And I think within rest is also play and leisure. And as I mentioned, that's something that I really am not very good at. Um, And so by understanding how do you rest, what is going to fill your bucket? Is that active rest? Is that going for uh, a a paddle uh, in a kayak? Is it going to hang out with friends? Is it playing with your kids? What does rest look like for you? So that way you can protect that time and be real intentional about actively engaging with it. Ask yourself outside of work, what brings me life? That's what I hear you saying, Adrian, is like those things bring you life or could bring you life. And so like for me, um, I love, so when I was younger, you know, part of that punk rock skater thing, I was a, I was a rollerblader um, and I got made fun of by skateboarders, but I loved it. And I recently got back into it. And that is something that gives me joy is by going and doing that. Um, you know, I also love reading. I love sitting in my chair by my window, you know, reading and contemplating. I love being with my kids and, you know, we love watching movies. And so those are some of the things that bring me joy. So finding what brings you, some people it's gardening, it could be running, whatever it is. Rest is not doing nothing. Rest is in engaging in what brings you life and joy outside of work. And another thing to consider, and this is what I, I love, I've studied the Sabbath 
you know, part of the Jewish Christian religion. And what, it's such a beautiful thing. And what they do is on Friday nights, traditionally speaking, they start with a meal, a Shabbat meal, which means stop. And they stop and you have a meal usually with community and friends and you celebrate the good things. And some of the friends that have started this, they're, they start talking about, it's like they have Thanksgiving every week. Like how beautiful. I love Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because there's not a lot. In fact, these days, you know, we're in October right now as we're recording this and already Christmas decorations were up at Coles and these, and I'm like, you guys totally skip over Thanksgiving and it's, it's just about being grateful. And so, you know, it's like, Oh, if I could have Thanksgiving every week, I would love to do that. Now I will say my practice of resting is not. As developed, it's something literally on my goal 411 worksheet that I'm, I'm goals I'm working towards. I'm developing it. My wife and I are going to be talking a little bit more about that next weekend when we go away to Shabbat or rest. <clears throat> and, uh, we're going to figure out what that looks like logistically. But, um, you know, resting is I, I, from a practical standpoint, setting a, it's, I think it's more than just a vacation. It's, it's a regular rhythm. I would encourage you to consider it weekly either a day or a half day or time where you are literally not working, not available to work, and you're setting aside a uh, a time, ideally to put your phone away as well. Put it to bed and put it aside and just, you know, do those things that bring you joy. If you can do that, that is what real rest is about. Yeah. And I think too, one of the hard reasons that we can't rest, I always think of the, the phrase, a body in motion stays in motion. That's what I experience because when I go, 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 it's really easy for me to keep momentum and just keep moving on to the next thing and the next thing. And I love crossing things off my to-do list like, oh, got that done and got that done. But then when I finally stop and sit, it feels really uncomfortable at first. But after a couple of minutes and then maybe after 30 minutes or so, I'm like, wow, like why don't I do this more often? Because I feel better by doing it. The to-do list is still there. I'm going to get back to it. But for me, rest is almost like I have to extract myself from my to-do list. And then when I finally do it, sitting in my backyard in our hammock with a book is one of my favorite things to do. And every time I do it, I'm like, why don't I do this more often? I mean, I probably do it once every two weeks, maybe. And then I feel so restored afterwards. It's like, why don't, why don't I do that more often? And so again, it's, it's just a change in mindset. It's being intentional about it. Um, it's making that shift. One of the things that I also love to do for rest is play board games. I love, we have a giant collection of, of board games. It's ridiculous. And my youngest is eight and she has started to get herself ready very early in the morning for school in order to preserve about 15 minutes of time for us to sit down and play a board game before she goes to the bus. And that's a little bit hard for me because in the morning I'm like, oh, but I need to get this done and get this done and get this done for the day. But that time with her is A, so precious for her, and B, it's so much more of an investment in the relationship that I just have to set that that to-do list aside. And, and that's rest, and it's unconventional for me to rest in the morning. But I think about the fruit that is being born out of that very brief 15-minute game of sorry before she goes to school for the day. 
I guarantee she'll remember that for the, her entire life. My mom always did that. And that that's like when you're at, on, you know, at the end of your life, like you're not going to wish you got one more thing done in your list, right? You're going to wish you had spent more time doing that. And uh, one more story, and, and I'd love to move on to the uh, power of authentic community. Um, this podcast was actually born out of a time of rest. My wife's uh, grandfather, who recently passed away, has a cabin up in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And, and when I first was dating her, I went up there and I jokingly said, I'd marry you just to be able to come up here. It's just so beautiful and peaceful. And we went up there. We thought it was going to be the last time. We went up for two weeks. And I turned my, I put my phone on airplane mode and I didn't put it away because I, I was going to use it for some contemplation stuff, but it was on airplane mode the entire time. And we had set it up that if, if certain people needed us, they could reach my wife. And we didn't have great cell reception up there. And anyway, you had to kind of walk to the end of the dock on the lake and like hold your phone in a certain angle to get really great reception. But um, I will tell you, like when I came back into the United States is when uh, we had, it's a, 11 hour drive, four to five of it is in Canada. And when we crossed over into the border, 20, 30 minutes before I was going to turn it back on, the anxiety I felt was palpable. And I'm like, hmm, that's something to recognize. And how often am I feeling that anxiety when I'm around my phone and not like, I can't rest. I, you know, I noticed that when I'm like, we like to wind down in the evening watching a show, usually as a family, we love the, the show Family Matters. Um, and if I have my phone within arm's reach, like if something uncomfortable happens on the show or there's like a break, I'm, I'm very tempted to reach it, reach for it. I can't rest with my phone around me. So, and I realized that when I, when I did that. And, and while I was in those two weeks uh, without my phone actively being a smartphone, I, was like, I, I need to do a podcast around some of the things I've been thinking, which is where this came from. So. So a question for you before we move on, if, if I may, especially thinking about our audience and, and leaders and entrepreneurs who have so many demands on their time that, you know, by turning off their phone for a certain amount of time, having that anxiety almost preemptively ruin their rest time because they know what's coming when they turn on that phone, that they are going to be bombarded with messages and emails and, and texts. And so it's hard to rest because even if we are going through the motions of doing it, is there still part of our brain that's still a little bit encumbered and connected to to what's going on? And so how do we manage that? How do busy leaders negotiate that. I know that I need to rest. I know that I need to invest in myself. I'm going to put my phone away for a day. But then what is the the result when they come back to it? And is that almost uh, counterproductive to taking that rest time? What are your thoughts on that? What a great observation. Um, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, it's, it, that, it's that kind of a problem. Um, and it to me it comes down to identity and boundaries right so if you haven't read the book atomic habits by james clear absolutely read it but he talks about when you're developing habits if you look at what you want to do as the habit and and like the outcomes it's going to be very difficult for you to really develop that habit versus if you look at identity like who do i want to be or become that's much easier Right when I first started working out seven or eight years ago, I was like, "Okay, I've got, I got to get to the gym," and I could easily not, I could easily miss it. But eventually, I became my identity was I never miss it, 
So for leaders, you've got to be you've got to be very clear on who you are, which is that silent and solitude contemplation time and self-awareness, which we're going to talk about soon, comes into play. You've got to be self-aware and understand who you are and who you are not and be able to draw boundaries around your priorities. If your family is a priority, you need to develop the ability and habit and belief that you can turn your phone off and it'll be okay. It also comes with setting expectation with people that you lead. Like, when are you available? When are you not available? You know, I, I've worked in the real estate world and it's very, it could be very difficult for real estate agents to say, you know, here's when I'm available and here's when I'm not. But you've got to draw those boundaries. Like, at what point do you turn your phone off and, and say, I am not working? And I've even counseled, coached clients to be like, look, you need a separate phone for work. Because you, if you give out your personal cell phone number and your clients have access to that, it's going to be very difficult for you to do that. And so it's a belief thing. It's an identity thing, which goes back into solitude and, and silence and, and contemplation and then self-awareness is working on yourself and the beliefs that you have. For instance, if you're an Enneagram 2, your core motivation is to be loved and liked by being helpful. If you're not helpful and you, you're you not, like if, if you don't answer a text right away, you get palpable anxiety that, oh my gosh, these people are going to hate me and I'm not going to be helpful. Therefore, my self-worth is destroyed. So you've got to work on some of those inner beliefs and it's not an easy path. Uh, and, and yet that's where you've got to get to a point where, okay, people have to know I'm not available. Like when I, when I went away for those two weeks, I let my coaching clients know, hey, I will not be available, right? And and usually when I'm on vacation, I'm like, look, if there's an emergency, so I make myself somewhat available. It's very rare that someone will reach out to me and they're very apologetic if they do. But this time I'm like, you won't be able to reach me. Here's who you can talk to if you need something. I had a few other coaches I'm in relationship with. I pointed them towards them. Inevitably, when I so when I got back and turned my phone on, I had 110 text messages. None of them were mission critical. None of them. None of them. So, you know, a lot of times we're, we think we're more important than we are, but if we set those boundaries, work on our identity and core beliefs and priorities, we'll be okay. Thank you for bringing that up. All right. Power of authentic community. Uh, I want to, I want to throw this to you, Adrian, you had mentioned your, your board of personal advisors. And I think like, you know, Authentic community plays a critical role for leaders, and I, I would just love to hear some of your thoughts on on the role that it plays. Whether somebody has it, if they don't have it, what are the what are the um, costs of that? And especially because you have some experience with having a personal board of advisors. Yeah, community has been really always been very important to me. And when we left our church back in 2019, one of my biggest fears was that I wasn't going to have a community anymore, and so. You know, being a, an adult in my mid thirties at that point, when people have busy lives and children, it's it's hard to cultivate those relationships when you're not in a setting like a church or a, a club or a group or, or some type. So, I really prioritized the close relationships that I had at that point, and um, really kind of identified who are the people that I want to invest in and invest my time in. And so those community relations started to grow. I found community. I built community uh, in my personal life without going to a church and then at work. So we left our, our church in January of 2019. And then I was promoted to director to lead our department in July of 2019. And, you know, it can be lonely at the top. And I wasn't necessarily at the top, but it can be lonely in middle management. 
And so at that point, I had to be, again, really intentional about continuing to grow the relationships that I had in my work environment to identify people who would serve sort of as a mentor role for me, knowing who are the people that I can go to when I am struggling with a problem, when I'm having a bad day, when I need some advice. And I don't think I've ever told any of those people like, hey, you sit on my personal board of directors, but they play such an important role in my life. They probably know who they are because they are my go-to people. And so, you know, in leadership, you really have to identify those people who are going to support you. Um, And they can play different roles. If you need encouragement, you go to one person. If you need some blunt advice, you go to another person. You need someone to say, girl, just let it go. You know who to go to for that. And so whether you're in a church, whether you have a different type of community, I think as as adults, it's so important to to invest in those relationships. And it can be lonely if you don't have those. And so if there are people who are thinking, well, I would like those relationships, but I don't have them. How do I get them? You know, that's one thing that we can talk about. And Chris, I wonder if you have any thoughts or advice um, about that. But for me, you know, I, I recognize the people who we have good chemistry with. Um, maybe they're, they're parents of friends, of your kids' friends that you haven't met. Maybe they are in different environments that you hadn't really necessarily considered you could make a good connection. But figure out how do you best build relationships, whether that's one-on-one, whether that is through texting, whether that is through inviting someone to coffee. How do you build relationships best and really lean into that and spend time with that person to, to develop that relationship and, and start to build some of that community? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I, so my thought is that it, you definitely you need people that you can be authentic and real with. You have to, and sometimes, especially if you're a leader, that is not your subordinates or people you necessarily lead. In fact, it probably shouldn't be. Right, I've made the mistake where they were. And I don't think that's a fair thing to put on people. Um, you you should be able to have authentic relationships, but I, I think as a leader, you need to have a sounding board outside of that, where you can like you know let it fly if you have to, and that you can be completely vulnerable and authentic with. And sometimes that that cannot be the people that you work with or or your leader or whatever. Um, and so to find those, I was super fortunate over the last five. To seven years, I've had a group of people from the organization I've been a part of that are, are from different parts of the country that we come together twice a year uh, in person. And we have a Slack channel that we talk all the time. And once a month, we get on Zoom and support each other. And I'll be like, the, the two years that I went through uh, previous to this that were the hardest in my life, if, if I didn't have them, I don't know what I would have done. I literally don't know what I've, I could not have survived it. And that authentic community where I could just, I don't, you know, I don't cry that often, but I, you know, I was able to be real with them and be vulnerable and cry and, and just, you know, just unload with them. And they loved me through it no matter what. And they were a safe place for me, which these days you've got to be intentional about building a safe community and safe place where you can be authentic. Otherwise you're, ah, you're headed for a really, really difficult time. Don't, don't just assume that somebody is necessarily safe. Like we've, we've been together for a long time and there's a process we went through to make sure that like 
somewhat intentional to know that we could trust each other and that we wouldn't just gossip behind each other's backs and like share things inappropriately out there and whatnot. And so um, that has been really important to me. And I would suggest to leaders, you need to find those folks, however you find it. And sometimes it could be, you know, an organization outside of your, 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 your company that you work with or work for, but find it because to be transparent and to, that's a weight you should not, you can't carry forever on your own. You've got to be able to share what's going on. And and the work we do as human beings, which again, I keep saying we're going to get to about self-awareness, that work is not easy and it is not quick. And you need other people to give you perspective. And, you know, if you're in a partnership or, you know, a romantic relationship, sometimes it's not even them. You know, you need some relationships appropriately outside of all of that. And so you've got to have that community. Yeah, I love that. And even what you said about the the common interests, how you were with this group, you know, or you were all kind of from the same background, even if it's not a community necessarily related to your work. What about your hobbies? Find a, find a club or a league or something where you feel like you belong and that you have things in common with people because that will also build community too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it's a group of like other leaders in, a, you know, in addition to like, it could be clubs, it could be, you know, leaders that are in similar, you know, um, stages of life or, or, um, you know, types of work as long, again, as long as it's safe and you can, you can share things there, it, that's, what's really important. So the power of authentic community cannot be understated because we've got to have that we are made to be in community. So all right. So we're, we're, uh, we're at time here. I want to wrap this up. And, you know, today we covered this wraps up a two part where we talked about four, uh, ancient practices, starting with the idea of solitude and silence and then contemplation and reflection. Please go back and listen to that. If you didn't today, we talked about rest and authentic community, and we just want to encourage you to start to develop those, uh, those activities and those practices, if you will, try them out and try them on and, and give it some time because, you know, the first go around, it may not feel comfortable. Uh, most likely it won't, but give it time. And I, trust me when I say you will, <laughs> you'll thank me for it when you give it some time. So our challenge for this episode, as we talk about rest is to consider what does rest look like for you? Because it looks different for everyone, whether it's that active rest or that passive rest, whether it's playful, whether it's family time, you figure out what does rest look like for you? And then also to take an action step to engage in that. Carve out a little bit of time. Again, it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be an hour, could be half a day, could be a full day. And just do your rest, just rest. That's a wrap for our initial discussion on essential practices for leaders. Next week, join us for part two of our three-part interview with Phil Carnuccio, where we discuss these practices in further detail and get into some very effective ways to develop them. Here's a quick preview. If we don't slow down and pay attention, we won't get there. And a lot of people are not getting there because they're not practicing silence, solitude, contemplation, and reflection. And this takes time and you have to slow down and pay attention. That's why we must interrupt the pace. We must. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Overflowing Life. If our message struck a chord with you, please subscribe and connect with us. Share your thoughts, questions, and stories with us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life or visit TheOverflowingLife.com. 
And if you're looking for coaching that helps you create an overflowing life, please reach out to us. We'd love to partner with you. See you next week.